Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Herman Armstrong. I'm a member here at the Highlands Church. Still getting used to saying that one. And uh, it's certainly a blessing uh, just to be here before you this morning and, and bring the word of God. Before uh, we move into our message, I just want to thank, do a couple thank yous. I want to thank Pastor Jordan uh, just for allowing me to preach today and just for that opportunity. I know that we're praying uh, for him and Maribel to have a safe and uh, relaxing vacation. It's, it's much needed and well-deserved. Also, along with Pastor Jordan, uh, Larry and Greg. I know they're both out today too, um, but throughout the week they helped me get everything squared away for the bulletin and for the PowerPoint, even though they were out of town, so I really appreciate that. And also, uh, just from this morning, um, Josiah and Dean and everybody on the team just prayed for me this morning. That was extremely encouraging, and so I really appreciate that. Our structure is going to go a little bit different this morning. Uh, we're going to go ahead and pray first and go into our sermon from there. So please bow your heads with me and let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for your grace. And we thank you for being assembled here today uh, to worship you. And we thank you for your word. And so it is my prayer this morning, Lord, that um, you speak uh, to your people, uh, that you soften hearts, uh, that you revitalize and that you encourage. Uh, you say that um, when your word goes forth, it will accomplish what you send it out to do, and it will not return void. And so we trust you uh, to be faithful to, um, to your holy word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this series that we've been in this summer in the book of Psalms has been uh, one that is very dynamic and very interesting. Um, one of the things that I, I've noticed uh, through Pastor Jordan's uh, series is how the Psalms um, so eloquently highlights and, and the overarching theme of the, of the goodness and the faithfulness of the Lord. And that's most certainly an encouraging thing. But one other aspect of the book of Psalms that uh, we have to deal with is the, the reality of the human experience. The book of Psalms runs the whole gamut of the human experience, including the reality of pain and suffering. Uh, no matter who we are, no matter what we try to do, no matter our lot in life, pain, suffering, trouble, uh, and turmoil are inevitable. We will have some seasons where we endure things that are not pleasing to us and things that we just don't like. Indeed, the world is full of negativity. Uh, frustration can linger from anxiety, from uh, current issues in life, or grief from people we have lost, or um, anxiety over our failures from the past, or even the demands uh, from our daily schedule from work life and family life. And as we know, the list goes on and on and on. Anger and depression are rampant in our society today. And as the people of God, if we're not careful, we can allow these things to get inside of us and rob us of our joy. This can cause us to take our focus off the goodness of God, which diminishes our joy and hinders our relationship with him, and it affects every area of our lives. According to the World Health Organization, 
The number one reason today employees call in sick is due to depression or some other mood disorder. Furthermore, an increasing number of adults are likely to experience some type of mood disorder in their lifetime. Yet repeatedly in his work, God calls us to lives of joy and happiness as we rest in him. He calls us to look past the frustrations of this life and set our affections on things above, to set our affections on heavenly things. So how do we do this? That's our question for this morning. How do we do this? How do we maintain a vibrant relationship with the Lord and experience his joy continually in our lives? We find the answer to that question this morning in the 100th Psalm. The 100th Psalm addresses the issue of the human experience and the issue of worshiping God and how to experience true and lasting and deep joy. Hear the word of God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Amen. Psalm 100 is said to be a jewel of the Psalter, of this psalm book that we have in the Old Testament. The psalms that preceded are a celebration of, of God's kingship and, and the holiness and the majesty of the God of the Hebrew people. And in Psalm 100, we find a culmination uh, to this recognition of God's holiness. This hymn was sung during festivals of Old Testament times, and it has been a favorite hymn of the people of God throughout the history of the church. Furthermore, Psalm 100 is regarded as a literary masterpiece. It is referenced by Shakespeare in The Merry Wives of Windsor, and Henry Wadsworth Longfellow calls it that grand old Puritan anthem. In it, the unidentified psalmist masterfully explains how and why we should worship God. And so what we'll see today is, as the psalmist lays out, is a pattern of a call to worship followed by a reason to worship. A call to worship followed by a reason to worship. And all this will help us to get to the, the root of that issue of how do we get to this joy? How do we experience the joy of God continually in our lives? So if we look at verses one and two, starts off with a, um, a clarion call, a clarion call to the entire world to praise God. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. The people of God are called to praise him, to worship him. But this worship cannot be worship of just any sort. We are directed to worship God with joy and gladness. 
Notice that along with commanding the people of God to worship him, the psalmist says that we should come into his presence with joy and gladness. We should come into his presence with a song in our hearts, with singing. We should come to church ready to worship God. We should ask ourselves, is this the way that we come into the Lord's presence? Do we, do we come into the house of God ready and willing and excited to worship him? Or are we expecting to just get something from God? Do we come into the house of God ready to ascribe to God the glory that he is due? Or do we fall into a perfunctory habit of coming to church and going through the motions of worship? People of God, our worship must be rooted in joy. God does not just call us to worship him. That worship must come from a heart that loves him and is full of joy. So what is the basis for this joy? What is the foundation for this joy that God commands of his people? We move forward to verse 3. The basis for being commanded to to worship God with joy and gladness is simply knowing that he is God. We must be joyful in worship because he is God. In contrast to the idol gods of the surrounding pagan nations, Israel knew that the Lord, their Lord, is the one true God. In spite of all the false gods, the small g gods, the fake gods, Israel knew that their God was the one true God, the true sovereign and king of the universe. Notice how verse 3 says that he is our maker and we are his. God is the creator of all that exists. He is our sovereign. We are accountable to him. He is our king. Moreover, God is our shepherd as we are the sheep of his pasture. He's our shepherd who lovingly provides for his own. We see the fullest revelation of God being a shepherd in Jesus Christ today, our good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. A good shepherd provides for his sheep, and we see that today in Christ, who gives us all that we need, all of our peace, all of our rest, all of our joy, all that we need as the people of God can be found in the provision of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we can have joy knowing that our foundation rests in what God has done for us. We can be joyful in worship. To say it succinctly, a proper understanding of God comes from a proper understanding of his actions. Instead of the idol gods that the biblical people faced in biblical times, uh, we face different idols today but idols nonetheless. Convenience, uh, materialism, uh, consumerism, our own pride, and even selfishness. But if we really want to know who the Lord is, we must look past these distractions. We must look past these modern day idols and instead reflect and meditate on who God is. If we really want a vibrant relationship with him and to really know him and experience all the benefits of being a child of God, we have to 
move past all the distractions in our minds and our hearts and our spirits and focus on who God is. There's a show, uh, there's a CBS show called Undercover Boss. And in it, uh, lower level employees unknowingly interact with their CEO. And because they think they're on the same level, there's some sense of, of, of laxity. Uh, there's some sense of familiarity. Um, because the person just thinks that they're working with somebody who's a coworker, and so there's, there's that sense that they can, they can just be lax with them. But at the end of the episode, the CEO or the president always reveals themselves to the employee, and the person finds out that they're really working with their, their boss or their boss's 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 boss the entire time. And when the CEO reveals his or her true identity, the employee normally responds with a great sense of awe, with a great uh, sense of being wowed, and, and ideally a great sense of great respect. And as we study the word of God and learn more about him and learn more about who he is, we should have that same reaction. Maybe when we first come to Christ, we may not know much about him, but as we learn more about him and as we deepen in our intimacy with him, as we learn that he is our creator, as we learn that he is our king, as we learn that he is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, that should cause us to come into this house to worship him with a deep, innate sense of awe and respect and reverence. So as we understand that the Lord is our maker, our shepherd, our king, this should stir up joy in our hearts. We should come to church ready and excited to sing praises to God. As we're thinking about this, this, this idea of fighting against the cares and troubles of the world, the Lord wants not, not just to have us come into this place on Sunday and be encouraged, but throughout all of our lives, throughout our week, throughout our days at work, throughout our, our home life, to be thinking about him and, and meditating on him and, and focusing on his word and just resting in his goodness through prayer and meditation and Bible study. And we should feel that on the day of rest when we come here on the, at the end of the week to, to, to recognize him and, and, and worship him and just celebrate his goodness. And so we should be joyful in worship because he is God. But the psalmist also calls us to be thankful in worship in verse 4. The second call to worship. The second call to worship focuses on, on thankfulness, being thankful to the Lord for what he has done. Psalm 100 was a hymn that was originally used for worship in the Old Testament. As the people of God were going to their festivals, in Israel, uh, they were expected to enter the temple with a heart of thankfulness and to be singing praises as they went throughout the various courts. This is why the psalm says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and in his courts with, with praise. This was an expectation of them. Along with this, the people of God are, are called to bless his name, to bless the name of the Lord. To bless the name of the Lord means to speak his praises, to give him the glory that he is due, to verbally recognize uh, God's glory and holiness and majesty. This is why David says in, in, in Psalm 34 and 1, I will bless the Lord at all times, 
and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. This, this attitude is a lifestyle that God expects of us to continually focus on him and worshiping him and praising him. Beyond this, the people in the Old Testament, the people of God, would bring sacrifices to offer God at the temple. And so as they came to the place of God, to the temple of God, uh, with an attitude of their heart and, 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 a, and a song ready to sing, they also brought sacrifices uh, to give to God. Because of the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ, thank God we do not have to bring literal animal sacrifices. However, when we come and assemble ourselves to worship, we should come ready to offer and sacrifice our praises and even our very selves to God. This is what God calls, calls from us and of us. Indeed, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all circumstances. Notice Paul doesn't say there give thanks when you feel like it. Notice Paul doesn't say give thanks just when you want to or when things are going up or when you just happen to be in a good mood that day. No, the word of God calls us to give thanks to God in all circumstances, the highs and the lows, the good and the bad. No matter what is going on in our lives, God is great and he is greatly to be praised. Give thanks in all circumstances. Be thankful. Be thankful to God. Why? Because he is good. Because he is good. Like an oasis in the Sahara, the Lord's goodness stands out in this evil world. It doesn't take but a cursory survey of, of your favorite uh, news webpage or uh, to scroll social media or just even interactions with uh, the people of this world to understand that we live um, in, in, in a secular world that is bent away from God. And so like a refreshing oasis in the Sahara, the Lord's goodness stands out, stands out to refresh us, to keep us, to strengthen us. In fact, God even defines what goodness is. He is good to his people and far better than we deserve. Indeed, the Lord is good. Along with his goodness, the psalmist here ascribes two other attributes to who the Lord is. He highlights his love and his faithfulness. He says the Lord is good because of his um, because of his steadfast love. This can be understood as God's uh, loyal love or God's covenant love. In contrast to the fake and, and, and fickle love that we may experience in this world and in these worldly relationships, uh, God's love is, is, is a covenant love. God's love, when he, when he promises to love us, when he promises to keep us, that is a promise to always be with us, regardless of how we fall or regardless of how we do. The Lord is good because of his loyal love. 
The Lord is good because of his covenant love. In his covenant love, he is also faithful. God is good because of his faithfulness. This word faithful is used in contrast to falsehood or lying. God is always genuine. God is always true. God is a God of love. God is a God of faithfulness. In a world where uh, we all probably have experienced being uh, lied to or had our backs turned on or being cheated on or being done wrong in some way, we can find rest in the fact that God is eternally stable and consistent. We should be thankful in our worship because of who God is. He's always loving towards us. He's always faithful to us. Not because of anything we've done, but the Lord remains faithful to his people simply because he has promised to do so. Sometimes in worldly relationships, people may promise to love us or to be faithful to us or to keep us, but things may change and they may walk away. But God will never walk away. That's a reason to be thankful. That's a reason to be joyous. Again, what the saints of the Old Testament saw in part in the faithfulness of God, who who brought them out of Egypt and to the promised land and, and kept them through trials and tribulations, we see completely today. God is indeed good and loving and faithful. And we see the love of God fully manifested in Christ. Not only did God send his son to save us, but he remains faithful to us, keeping us, loving us far beyond what we, what we deserve. And we look forward to an eternity with him. Indeed, the love of God is eternal and faithful and consistent. In several places throughout the Psalms, we are reminded, oh, give thanks to the Lord. Why? For he is good and his steadfast love endures forever. So in summation, this psalm teaches us that the Lord is God and that he is good. He is our maker, our redeemer, our savior, and king. Regardless of whatever the negativities or trials we face in this world, the Lord is God. He is sovereign. He is faithful. And he is good in total contrast to the evil of this world. When we set our minds on the goodness of the Lord, our hearts will instinctively be filled with joy. When we set our minds on the goodness of God, our hearts will instinctively be filled with joy. A proper understanding of who God is will arouse an attitude of joyful worship in our hearts. Just like, a, just like a teapot that's filled with water and that's being heated, at some point, that spout has to make that noise. And if we really experience who God is and if we really know who he is and have come to be intimate with him and know his goodness and his grace and his, and his mercy, at some point we have to let out a praise to him because of who he is. Because of the daily goings-on of life, our emotions may ebb and flow. 
because of the positives and because of the negatives. But joy should be the overall attitude of our hearts and of our lives. Joy should be the persistent state of our spirits. And our joy is expressed in the way that we worship God. Leave you with a quote from Charles Spurgeon regarding this psalm and how to experience joy. Resting on his sure word, we feel that joy, which is here commanded, and in the strength of it, we come into his presence even now and speak good of his name. Simply stated, as we bless God, he blesses us. As we bless God, he blesses us. We're expected to come to church with a heart ready to praise the Lord. And in turn, we are encouraged by communing with him. Spurgeon also said that in worship, we ought to realize the presence of God. If we live a regular lifestyle of focusing on God and, and focusing on his word and, and meditating on him, and we come to the house of God ready to worship him, we experience that spiritual dynamic with him. And we're strengthened and we're, we're, we're brought up because we're communing with God. And so living a life this way produces an attitude of persistent joy in our hearts. And it leads to a joyous lifestyle. So to our opening question, how do we, how do we move past the frustrations and the negativity of this world and, and pursue a vibrant relationship with God and persistent, continual joy in our lives? The answer to this simple question is, is, is simply uh, to know who God is and what he has done. And as we understand who God is by reading and meditating on his word, we are strengthened uh, we are encouraged. We are lifted up in Christ. As we come to understand more and more who God is, we are able to have joy and move beyond the troubles of this world. So I ask you this morning, do you know who God is? Let's pray. Lord, your word says to be in your presence is the fullness of joy. And so I pray that over all of us here this morning, that you would teach us um, to be deeper and better worshipers, God. Help us, God, to pursue lives of joy, to move beyond what hinders us, God, what ails us, and focus on your goodness. The greatest reality in this world, Lord, is that you are God and that you are good. Let this truth rest on our hearts today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.